You are listening to Open Stance Audio, presented by Cliff Drysdale Tennis. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Open Stance Audio. Yes, it's me, Joey Hamp, with Cliff Drysdale Tennis, and we are back for the first time in just about a month. Uh, I haven't spoken to you guys since post-Wimbledon. Um, don't worry, podcast is still here. Um, we've had some some major things going on, um, not only inside of our company, you know, all very good things, um, but also in, inside of our department. And the podcast sort of lost its um, lost its schedule on the daily routine. But we are back, and <clears throat> what a time to be back! It's the U.S. Open. I'm actually in New York um, here. Uh, qualifying going on right now on the grounds of the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. And before we get into U.S. Open, what the U.S. Open means for, I think, American tennis, what it means for the sport of tennis in the, in the U.S. and how it is kind of the pinnacle of, of you know, how I started, what, you know, how I got into the sport and I think how a lot of people you know, relate to tennis from a more a, a public fan perspective. I want to look back on the last month. Where are we? Where did, you know, where's the game at right now? Um, and I think it's at a very interesting place. You know, post-Wimbledon, obviously Novak Djokovic won Wimbledon. Um, Angelique Kerber um, on, the, on the women's side took out Serena Williams. And a lot has happened since then. Um, obviously, the, the major Masters 1000s events in Toronto slash Montreal and Cincinnati led up to where we are now, which is the week before main draw play at the US Open. And um, there were major storylines, right? There were stories that um, I think you know were very interesting. Serena Williams looked very shaky. Um, you know, a lot of, everyone kind of thought she was coming back, but all of a sudden she's she's kind of losing matches. Um, so that's on the women's side. That was one of the first things that stood out. You know, she lost badly in Stanford, or sorry, San Jose, the new event in San Jose, six one six zero to Joanna Conta. Lost twelve straight games, um, and then you know Simona Halep continued her incredibly strong two thousand and eighteen. Um, she's always played well in premier events, but for her to win her first major already be world number one, and then consolidating that effort, not letting down, winning in Montreal, and then making the final of Cincinnati last week. Um, you know, she had a chance to win win the double. It's a very hard double, but, um, you know, for her to really increase her lead on world number one, I think she's solidifying herself as, you know, not only, I think anyone who didn't think she was, you know, the world's best player was already wrong, but she's, you know, there's been a lot of WTA players who haven't been able to hold on to that ranking, but she's really holding on to it for a long time now, and she will because of these recent results. So I think that's a major story going forward. Um, and still, you know, on the women's side, there's still so many contenders and people who can play well. Kiki Burton's win Cincinnati out of nowhere. Um, you have players like Wozniacki um, who are ranked high but haven't been playing too well. Same thing with Alina Svetolina. Um, you know, so again, we go into the U.S. Open. Who is the favorite? It's really unclear. It's probably Simona Halep, um, but Angelique Kerber could could play well. Serena, you never know. Um, where's Carbinia Muguruza gone? So many players on the WTA. The, the, the depth of the top 10, 20 is just very strong. And um, 
you know, I, it's really hard to say who's going to win a match when um, it's very much matchup oriented. And then on the on the men's side, you've, we've sort of seen a return to I would say 2015, 2013, um, where Novak Djokovic. I don't want to say he's all the way back, but he's almost back um, after winning Wimbledon. He won Cincinnati, finished the career Golden Masters, is what the ATP is calling it. Um, he's won every Masters 1000 tournament. There's nine of them. He's the first player to ever do that. Um, not even Federer or Nadal completed that task. And Cincinnati was the last one, and he beat Roger Federer in the final there. Federer didn't play too well, but Djokovic was a big part of that and didn't let him play well and really dictated that match. Um, and then Rafa Nadal wins Toronto, skips Cincinnati, but... He's playing well on hard courts, probably having his best season. Um, you know, I know he won two majors in two, last year, but to me, he's playing better this year. I mean, has a shot at the U.S. Open, and then right, Federer's back after taking time off. T- taking time off after Wimbledon, uh, kind of a shocking loss to Kevin Anderson from two sets up. Um, he's back. He makes the final. Cincinnati isn't playing very well, but you never really know. He's still number two in the world, and so you've got these top three guys: Murray, or sorry, um, Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic kind of like feels like the old guard, you know, feels like they're the three favorites and they're back and it's 2018. And to think about that, you know, looking back at, I remember being at this, being here in New York at the U.S. Open in 2014. And, and at that time, you know, the thought of those three guys still being dominant four years later, I think, I think a lot of people would have questioned it just because of age and, and young talent. But, you know, I don't think it's any sort of an indication on the weakness of the younger players. I think it's just, these are three great champions in our sport that the sport has ever seen. And um, I, I do think Djokovic is the favorite going into the U.S. Open. But one of the, another major story, um, one I think is good for men's tennis and one that it, it sort of feels good is Stan Wawrinka making his return back inside the top 100, playing well again, um, nearly beat Roger Federer in Cincinnati. It's putting together good wins, played a good match against Rafa Nadal in Toronto. Um, seeing Stan come back after injury and having him kind of you know struggle for a long time this year, but finally he's found his way. Um, and you look at somebody like Andy Murray who's going through the same thing. He hasn't quite found his way yet. Um, you know he looks like he's struggling, but I think what you saw with Stan was you just need that one event. You need that one tournament where you you might be tired or you might be hurting physically, but if you can get through that match and you can get through that win, it'll do so much for your confidence because your level of play goes up. When you win a couple matches, you remember what that feels like, and all of a sudden on the court, you become a different player. And that's what makes tennis so different from really any other sport. Um, you know, it's not just how strong you are, it's not just how fast you are, it's not just um, you know how hard you can hit the ball. All of these things that come into play in tight moments, you know, in pressure situations, the intangibles, as they say, are are so much more refined, and the margins are so small in tennis that. Um, at the professional level, even these players who are Grand Slam champions, three-time Grand Slam champions, in the case of Avrinka and Murray, you know, tennis players are good. Players ranked 200 in the world are good. Players ranked 100 in the world are really good. And um, you know, it, took, it still takes them a while to get back to that level. But it, it's been it's been good to see Stan get back. And um, yeah, that's that. Those those were the major storylines coming back into the U.S. Open. Um, as I'm here, uh, U.S. Open qualifying is going on, and I think it's always a great chance for people to see a lot of the young Americans that are that are making their way up the rankings. I think this year in particular, there's so many college players that are playing in qualifying. Um, for example, Tyson Kwiatkowski got a win today over Sergei Stokowski, 
Um, Kwiatkowski was the 2016 NCAA champion from the University of Virginia. Um, he's actually got two teammates playing as well in the qualifying from that same team, JC Argoni and Colin Altamirano. Um, and I believe there's like six or seven college tennis players uh, just on the men's side alone playing qualifying. Obviously qualifying is free for the public and I think it's, in my opinion, the greatest value. I think I've said this on the podcast before, the greatest value in pro tennis. Um, so if you do get a chance, you're in New York, I would highly recommend heading out. Um, tomorrow I want to talk about some tips I have if you're attending the US Open because I have been both as a, a fan and a, and, a, and a media member and kind of understanding some some ways that I think you can best utilize your time on the grounds. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this catch-up. I'm excited to get back on the daily podcast, Grind, and hope you will enjoy listening. So um, if you do, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you are sharing it with your friends. Open Stance Audio, the Daily Tennis Podcast. We're back, uh, and I'm excited. So um, U.S. Open time, and I will talk to you tomorrow.